chapter 10. We're going to read the paragraph beginning at verse 19, from verse 19 down to verse 25. This passage, the author of Hebrews, is going to ask us to do at least three things. Let us. Before he gets to the let us's, he gives two reasons. It's called a perseverance, a call to perseverance in the faith. I'm reading from the New International Version. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance uh, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. This is God's word to us. Would you welcome, please, Pastor Joshua Tan. You're going to share, update us on Hertford Street? Good man. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning and open God's word with you and also help the pastors have a few more coffees this week. If you don't know me, my name is Josh and I'm the pastor at Hertford Street Baptist Church. It's up in Upper Mount Gravatt. Uh, as you all should know, both Hertford Street and Sunnybank uh, District Baptist share a partnership relationship. It's great for both our churches uh, to be supporting one another, to be praying for one another and working together when possible for the work of God's kingdom. Both our churches are in unique stages in our life, which means Sunnybank has uh, ways to support uh, Hertford Street in their unique ways. And Hertford Street, surprisingly to some of you, also has ways to support Sunnybank too. And there's also great potential for both churches to impact the neighbourhood and community around us as we work together for the sake of the gospel and do things in ways that one church just couldn't do by itself. Today, I bring greetings from Hertford Street Congregation. We pray for you regularly in our services. We start at nine o'clock, so a bit early this morning for you guys. We're also very grateful for your partnership in Jesus with us. Uh, unfortunately, my wife Angela couldn't make it this morning. Uh, she's about to lead music uh, at Hertford Street because we're a bit uh, low on hands this morning because uh, Spencer Felix is enjoying the Greek Isles with his wife. But before we look at this passage in Hebrews, uh, it's a good opportunity for me to share in person how Hertford Street Baptist Church is going. There's a heap of things that I could talk about, but there's really two things that I really want to highlight this morning, one praise point and one prayer point. The praise point is for uh, one of our new initiatives uh, that we trialled late last year. We call it Dinner at HSBC. Basically, it's a community dinner. Uh, it's a dinner for our church members to invite their families and friends to, a dinner for us as a church to invite our neighbours and our local community to, a dinner to connect Christians with non-Christians and to raise awareness uh, for those around us that we're actually a church that uh, around the corner from them. Uh, it's really the first 
real form of intentional outreach the church has done in many years. Uh, we did two of these events uh, last year. Uh, the first was in October. We had 55 attend uh, for a church of 40, 50. That's a great thing. Uh, our second event in November, we had 64 attend, which is, again, another step up. Uh, especially our second event, we had quite a few newcomers, fresh faces. Some of them were still working on, and some have actually started attending our church fellowship too in the past few months. So we're really encouraged by this new initiative, uh, the new connections, and also uh, for me seeing a lot of people in the church uh, begin to think and pray intentionally about who to invite, who God wants uh, them to reach out to in their family and friendship circles. And this is something that we praise God for as a church, and we continue uh, to pray that it will happen again in 2020. And now the prayer points uh, that I want to talk about is for our congregation at Hertford Street. That's probably a bit honest and uh, blunt here. We're a small church, uh, 40, 50 people. Uh, morale is a really tricky thing for us as a church. When we have two or three couples or families away, we really feel it. Uh, sometimes we're down to even 30 or below on a Sunday, and it really feels sparse. Gabe told you guys to move up this morning. I've seen half of the church with three people sitting there before, and that's really easy for me and for other people to uh, feel a bit down and depressed about that. And we also see many newcomers come. Uh, they stay for a week or two weeks or three weeks, and then we don't see them again. And on a practical uh, emotional level, we get really excited when we see them, but then we get a bit depressed when we don't see them again. And we've really felt this even more in the last few months. Uh, the last four months, we've actually lost 10 of our regulars over this time, uh, whether it be internationals, uh, moving to other cities for study and for work, people uh, moving to other regional towns for work also. Uh, some have health issues. And we just farewelled two weeks ago a core couple family who are moving churches to take up a paid ministry role there. So uh, all of these are, by and large, understandable things. They're all good things, but uh, it's really tough for us as a small church uh, to handle all that. So it feels like, in some ways, we're back to square one again, or not much has really changed over the past year or so. And it's really easy to forget all the other ways that God has been working in the church, just as we look at who's coming and numbers and things like that. So please pray for our congregation. Uh, please pray for encouragement, for perseverance, for patience, for rest, as many are serving in multiple different ways and they're feeling really tired and gassed out. And also pray uh, for God to connect the people that he wants uh, to be at Hertford Street, for the newcomers he wants to come and stay, for the ready-to-serve Christians that he calls to come and help us, and for the non-Christians that God wants to see saved through Hertford Street Baptist Church. Please pray for us as we likewise uphold all of you in prayer. On that note, let's do this now as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Father God, thanks that we're one in Jesus, that we have real fellowship with you and each other despite what local church we may call home. 
Father God, we lift up both our churches, that you would be in the driver's seat, leading and guiding both our churches to your business, your plans, and your will. Help us both to support each other where you desire for the greater growth of your kingdom. Father God, now as we come to your word, we pray that you would teach us, encourage us, rebuke us, challenge us, we pray, so that we may live for Jesus and follow him all our days. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Now, I wonder if you've heard these words at church before. Maybe at the start of the service, they say, welcome to church, we're going to sing. And if we sing loud enough, good enough, passionate enough, we'll be able to enter God's presence. Or maybe you heard that ad on the radio, something like, come and join us at so-and-so church with our vibrant worship, our great band, so that we can help you uh, enter God's presence with us at so-and-so church and be empowered for life change. Or maybe you've heard it said to you before, only if you've obeyed the law, been a good moral person, done the right rituals, given enough money or served enough that you can enter God's presence. You see, entering God's presence, being and living in God's presence, it's a big deal. It's what people want to do. It's what people seeking God look for. It's what people uh, of God love and enjoy. And in a sense, that's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Confidence in entering God's presence. You see, Hebrews is a great book for you to read uh, to start uh, this new year. You see, it firmly focuses our gaze on God's son, Jesus. He's better than the angels. He's the better priest, the better sacrifice, the better rest. He's the fulfillment of the whole of God's word, the Old Testament, the only way for us to have confidence before God. That's what Hebrews 1 to 10 is all about. And we find ourselves this morning... Uh, looking at an important hinge in this book of Hebrews, a big transition point at the end of all this teaching and at the beginning of the so what, what does this mean for us? And in effect, it's applying the whole letter, applying the complete work of Christ, the foundation of our faith, our hope, and our assurance. Great things to reflect on if you want to have a read this week. Jesus and his great priesthood, his better priestly work, and his once-for-all sacrifice that we sang about before. Applying all of this from the author to the Hebrew readers and also from God to us today. And you see, it's all about entering God's presence, entering, staying, and helping others to stay in God's presence. And lucky for us this morning, it's not about how great we sing, It's not about how expressive we are, how vibrant our worship is, like those church ads or those intros to the service suggest. It's not even based on how good we are, what great things we've done, or how I've measured up, or how I feel even right now. Thankfully, it's not based on our performance, but it's all wrapped up, secured in Christ's performance, in the finished or the completed work of Jesus. You see, verse 19 to 25 is essentially a summary of the whole of this letter. 
and we'll begin with this preamble in verse 19 to 21. Therefore, brothers, I'm reading from the ESV, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So how do we enter God's presence? Well, it says here we have confidence to enter God's presence, not uncertainty, not anxiousness, not caution, no fear or anything, but confidence, something the Old Testament sacrificial system never promised, was never described with something that other worldviews that we know of today lack, confidence to enter God's presence. And it's all because of the blood of Christ, because we've been cleansed, made perfect, purified, and it's all been done. We read here, it's a new way. It wasn't open before. The Old Testament, the fathers, the priests, the kings, and the prophets, they looked forward to it. The Old Covenant and the law pointed to it. But now it's open in Christ. We read here too, it's a living way. It's the way to life, just as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the old way is a dead way. Living to be saved under the law is a dead way. It's a dead end. So are other ways to God, dead ways. Only Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. And this way, it's open through the curtain, the veil. You see, in the old way, the Old Testament temple, there was a physical curtain that separated man from God's presence, the holy place. And the priest would go through this physical curtain only once a year into what symbolized God's presence. But this new way, we go through a new curtain to enter God's presence. It's through the body of Jesus, his flesh, his offering, qualifying us to enter. And it's only when you're in Jesus, when you're identifying with, united to Christ, who paid the price for your sin, that you can actually enter God's presence. We also have here a great priest over God's house, a high priest who mediates or does his priestly work effectively, performing a once-for-all work, offering a perfect sacrifice that actually perfects sinners who really got the job done. All of this summarizing Hebrews 1 to 10, essentially showing the Old Testament and how it's fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in Jesus, we have confidence to enter God's presence. As we keep going this morning, verse 22 to 25, as Darrell alluded to already, the author begins to apply these truths to the readers. And it's all supposed to be practical stuff here, rubber hitting the road, truth into life, walking the talk. And that's the sense that I want to bring this morning. But if there's any gospel truths that aren't spelled out here today, I really encourage you to look back, read Hebrews, takes about 30, 45 minutes to read. Maybe grab a book about Hebrews and have a look at that. Listen to some talks on it. I think the night services at Sunnybank did a series on Hebrews about seven years ago. 
and we worked, it, uh, worked through it last year at Hertford Street, and it's all on our website too. Uh, verse 22 to 25, it's a classic Baptist sermon. Three points, I'm sure you get a lot of it from Daryl and Charlie. Three points, verse 22, draw near, verse 23, hold fast, and verse 24 to 25, help others hold fast. Now I wonder if you've been to a big dinner event, maybe a wedding reception or a ball, whoops, too far, or a work function, and usually in those invites, uh, they say, come to the reception for drinks and canapes, like 6 o'clock p.m., and the doors will open to the ballroom or the reception area at 6.30 or 7 p.m. And I've been to dinners and the doors open, but people don't go in. Some get distracted in conversation, they keep talking and talking. Others, like me, they keep picking out on the canapes and following the waiters around. Others already had too much to drink. Uh, others are stuck at the photo booth, especially if they're Asians. Uh, some decide to pull the plug, they even just go before the reception starts, and they head somewhere else instead. And then the MC, the event organizers, they have to announce, come in, get in, we're starting, come and find your seats, now we're running late. And that's what the first point of application is like. The doors have opened, you can enter God's presence, Christ has opened the way, so get in, find your seats, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, God wants us to know that it's all been done, that in Christ, in his finished work, you already have a true heart. You have full assurance of faith. Your hearts have been sprinkled clean from evil and your bodies are washed clean. You've been made clean, pure, holy, and righteous. And you're able right now to draw near to God. You're able right now to enjoy his presence, to sit before his throne, to bask in his majesty, to receive grace and mercy in your times of need. You see, you have free access to God. There's no more magic ritual required, no bells, no smells, no worshipful experience, no secret formula needed. The work's already been done. So it says here, draw near to him. Be confident, be assured that you have access, that you are in a sense already in God's presence. You might ask, what does drawing near look like? Well, it's not physically moving somewhere. It's not getting closer to the cross behind there, at the screen in the church, even though Gabe really wants you to move forward. It's not making that pilgrimage to Jerusalem uh, like the Muslims, they go to Mecca, or some Catholics go to the Vatican. But here, drawing near, it means directing your heart into the presence of God. It means resting your heart, your soul, your mind in his saving grace, one in Christ. It means approaching God with confidence, giving him your focus, your attention, directing your pleas to him, your thanksgivings, your laments, 
and doing all this knowing that you are in a right relationship with the holy God, that because of Jesus and his work of salvation, God hears, God answers. But just like that dinner event that we talked about before, uh, for some reason, even though the doors are open, we sometimes don't end up going in. We don't draw near to God. We stay far away. And it's easy for us to fall into one of these two groups. First group, you didn't know that the doors were open. Uh, you didn't know that you were able to draw near to God. It might be because you're new this morning and you're finding out more about him. Or maybe you've grown up with a different idea of God for whatever reason. Well, this morning I really encourage you, if you're in this group, to read Hebrews, read the Gospels, talk to a pastor or leader or Christian friend, find out more about Jesus. Because God has opened up the way for us to draw near to him, the creator, the ruler, the all-powerful God. And it's through the work of his son, Jesus paying for your sins on that cross. Don't miss out on drawing near to God with confidence. Or maybe more likely this morning you're in a second group. You're too busy in conversation. You're too busy eating the snacks. Too busy enjoying yourself outside God's presence. You're being distracted from drawing near to God. It could be because life is busy but your priorities have slowly changed over time. Whether it's real pressures that expose your distant uh, relationship with God, or maybe just being plain distracted by the lights, even purposely being ignorant of God. You're so focused on the here and now, and you forgot to draw near. Maybe as you begin uh, this new year, you've realized that you're not near to God, that you haven't drawn close to him for a while. Well, God reminds us if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Obey him today. I know about you, but I imagine you have the same or similar struggles as me, that even in my lifetime, the world just gets busier, distractions are rampant, and every day I have to wake up and I have to remember God's call. Draw near to him. Even as a pastor, I have to be reminded of the confidence Jesus has given us to enter God's presence. Heart cleaned, body washed, sin removed, full assurance. Even if I don't feel like it, I need to cast my mind on what I know, the truths of God, the gospel, to draw near to him before all the distractions of the day and life bombard me. So let me ask you this morning, what strategies do you have to remind yourself to draw near to God with confidence? See, we're 12 days into this new year. What's your strategy this year? What could be good habits to start, to keep, to strive to as the year moves forward? Because if you have no strategy this morning, if you're just winging it, if you think that you're too good to have a plan, it's likely that right now you're being distracted, that you're regularly not drawing near to God, that you find yourself in the here and now, distracted, caught up in the world, instead of basking in God's presence, resting 
on his promises, rejoicing in his salvation and living for him. Let us draw near to God's presence. As we keep going, the second point here is to hold fast. One thing that uh, many people, not many people, know about me is that I'm extremely scared of heights. It's so bad that when I was in Japan, I paid 10 bucks entry fee to this place. It was a museum at the world's longest suspension bridge. It's called the Akashi Kaikyo near Kobe. And there's a part of the bridge here, uh, part of the museum where you can walk onto the actual bridge with a glass floor down the bottom. And let me tell you, I could not do it. I held onto the guardrail, I walked back to the starting point actually, and I exited the museum 10 bucks down the drain. Andrew and I walked up uh, Mount Gravatt uh, last year. Uh, it's a pretty basic hill to climb, and I'm walking on the tracks, I'm looking down, and I couldn't do it. I walked really slowly, I tiptoed parts of it, I stayed on the inside track because that's the safe place, and I didn't dare to look down. And in the book of Hebrews, in the next verse as we keep going, there's an assumption here that life can be scary, that it's not going to be that walk in the park, that there will be tough times, dangerous times, more dangerous than my fear of heights, temptations to drift away from God and to turn back from Jesus, which is why here he calls his readers and us to hold fast. It's a call, it's a command that's repeated again and again in Hebrews. And it's here again in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who was promised is faithful. You see, if drawing near to God was something that the Hebrew readers had forgotten, then they were doing the opposite of holding fast here. They were drifting away. They were turning back. They were loosening their grip on the hope set before them by Christ. I think the implications for us are pretty similar to the first point before, so I just want to hone into one thing in this verse. What are we holding fast to? It's the confession of our hope, the beliefs of our hope, the doctrines of our hope, the truths of our hope. Let me ask you this morning, do you know what they are? Are they clear in your mind? Could you tell someone if they asked you? Do you see why they're so important? About a fortnight ago, I was on a fishing chart. That's where I got some sunburn that you see if you're next to me. And one of the workers asked me what I did. And I answered him, I'm a pastor. And then he asked me out of genuine curiosity, what do I have to know about this whole church Christianity, Christianity thing? I wonder how you would answer that question. What does Christianity boil down to you? I suspect that some of you might not have an answer for whatever reason. Others of you might know it, but may not be able to articulate it confidently or clearly. What are the basic 101s to our faith? Maybe it's something like God is the creator and ruler of this universe. We, as God's creation, have rejected his rule, and the penalty for this rejection is death. But God made a way in Jesus 
who lived under God's rule perfectly. He died in our place for sin, who conquered death and rose into new life. And if we put our hope in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, instead of death, we enjoy life and relationship with God forever. Maybe it's that. Maybe you want a shorter summary. My hope of eternal life of God is only found in Jesus, one in his dying for our sins on the cross. What are you holding fast to this morning? The world says, be the best version of you. Achieve greatness. Find true happiness. Hold fast to that. But God tells us to hold fast to the truths that save us for eternity, the confession of our hope. Gone are the good old days where uh, you have sermon note inserts in your bulletin and you get certificates uh, for people who summarize the sermon uh, best when you chuck it in the offering basket. But let me challenge you this morning to spend a moment and think, what do you believe is the confession of your hope? What are those saving truths for you? Maybe after the service, and maybe when you get home, write it down. What do you believe is the confession of your hope? Maybe if you're not sure, look at how others have put it. Material like two ways to live, Matthias Media, the bridge illustration, the Apostles' Creed. Talk to someone, ask how they would summarize the confession of our hope. Share yours with someone else, see what they think. And most importantly, hold onto it. Use whatever you write to remind yourself to hold fast to these truths. Hold on to the confession of your hope. As we keep going, one of the global trends uh, affecting our society over the past century is what we call individualism. There's a big focus on self doing it solo, separation from others, celebrating my independence, rejecting conformity with the world. Like anything, there's good parts to this, and there's also bad parts to it too. And individualism also affects the church. There's such a strong emphasis on me in the Western church, that the us, the together, the one another, and the church often gets lost in the Western church. And look at all three statements in these verses. It says, let us, let us, let us. It's all about the church community together, drawing near and holding fast. And especially this last challenge here. It's all about the corporate, the us, the one another. Have a read in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the author challenges us, draw near, hold fast, and now to help each other to keep loving others, to keep living in light of God and his son's saving work, to encourage them on the way, or in other words, to help others to hold fast. Did you know this morning that each of you have a role and responsibility to help others 
to hold fast to Jesus, to help the person on your left, on your right, in front and behind you to keep living for Jesus. You see, you have a part to play in helping them to keep going, to keep running the race, to live godly lives, to continue to grow, to encourage them to serve, to cheer them on, to keep going, to make sure that they persevere to that last day when we get to heaven. You see, that's what it means to stir each other up for love and good works. Yes, that means for me, I need to do my best to make sure the guys at Hertford Street, whether it be Neville Bishop, Spencer Felix, or Mary Claire Wilmot, all of them to keep living for Jesus. For you lot, Daryl needs to make sure that Mark, Judy, and Scott, and others continue to hold fast to the gospel. And each of you, you need to make sure that Daryl, the guy sitting next to you, the lady sitting on the other side of the church, keep enduring with Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, we all have an investment, a role, a responsibility to make sure that those around us, not just our besties, not just our friends, those that we get along with, but all of us, including the ones who annoy the heck out of you, maybe them all the more, all of us to keep holding fast to Jesus. Is that how you think about church, about Christian fellowship, about gatherings and meetings, about why you came to church today? Helping each other hold fast to the gospel. And to help each other, you need to trust each other. To trust, you need to know each other. To know, you need to share lives with each other. And to share, you need to talk, relate, truly, genuinely love and care for each other instead of holding things against each other, which is our natural tendency as sinners. And obviously, to do this, we need to keep meeting together, which seems to be a no-brainer. But the author goes out of his way to say this in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You might think dropping church attendances is a current 21st century phenomenon, but see here in Hebrews, because of the suffering, the persecution, church attendances were dropping for this Hebrew church. People thought that they knew it all, so they stopped coming. They didn't want to be associated with Christians out of fear. They became lazy, second-generation Christians in the 60s AD. What is it for us today? Maybe life's too busy, you say. We get tired too easily. We think no one will notice or care if we're missing a couple Sundays. We don't prioritize the corporate gatherings as much as we used to. We think that we've got Jesus, so we don't need to hear it again and again and again. We don't want to miss out on something else out there. Pretty much anything becomes a reason for us to skip our church gatherings. At Hertford Street, uh, one of our old couple, oldie couples puts all of us in our church to shame. We have a dear old couple. Uh, they probably have the most health problems in the church, the least energy of us all. 
the most reason to be away more often, whether it be health or rest or holidays. But unless they're chained to their bed or in hospital or almost dying, they'll almost always be at church on Sunday, never compromising their commitment, always prioritizing the gathering of God's people. Of course, we're not talking about missing uh, the one-off Sunday because you're sick or traveling or away, but we're talking about the systematic, continuous lowering of the priority of the gathering. Because if you think about it, if we really have responsibility for each other's holding fast to Jesus, and others really have responsibility for us to hold fast to Jesus, then the church gathering ought to be an amazingly high priority in our lives. And I'll focus this morning on the weekly gathering, but it's obvious as you read the book of Acts that Christians in the early church, they met regularly, even daily at times, sharing meals, breaking bread, talking Bible and life. How do we prioritize Christians gathering in our lives and weeks? in what seems like an ever-increasingly busy lifestyle? How do we obey not neglecting to meet together today? One of my favorite Christian preachers, not Daryl, sorry, but Mike Rader, uh, he said once, the best thing a Christian can do is to go to church. The best thing a Christian can do is to go to church. Had a great week living for Jesus, then go to church, encourage others. Maybe had a bad week, feeling like you're in the pits, the valleys. Go to church, be encouraged by others, be part of the stirring one another up for love and good works. Mike Rader continues to say, we have a consumerist culture in Australian churches. It's all about convenience. We value rest and recreation more than the gathered people of God. He says, occasional attendance, irregular attendance, non-prioritized attendance is a curse and cancer on our Aussie church. I think the author to the Hebrews is implying, don't give up meeting together. Because that move of not meeting together is a fatal move. It's the beginning of the drift away. So he's saying, surround yourself with people holding fast to Jesus and gather with an intent to help others hold fast to Jesus. And as we finish off soon this morning, as we head to morning tea, reflect on this question. How can I help someone hold fast to Jesus today? Ask the person that you're talking to, how can I help you hold fast to Jesus today? And maybe if you're on the receiving end of this, instead of going, um, I don't know, I'm not sure, think of how you might answer. Maybe you'd like prayer, encouragement, support. Maybe you need that challenge or rebuke. We all need help in holding fast to Jesus. And God, he works by his spirit, working through his people to help us in holding fast to Jesus. So as we finish off this morning, how do we live in light of the completed work of Jesus? How do we apply this main chunk of Hebrews today? Well, today's three phrases. 
drawing near to God's presence, holding fast to our hope in Jesus and helping others hold fast to Jesus. Simple words, yet so challenging for each of us to practice. Even as we finish today and head to morning tea, something that we need to pray for God's help for as we respond to God's word. So let's pray. Father God, thanks for the certain hope of eternal life that you offer us in Jesus. Thank you that it's a hope that's secure, a completed work, it's assured that we can be confident in as we trust Jesus and his death and rising again. Help us, Father, to draw near to you confidently instead of turning away from you, drifting away from you or drawing to you in uncertainty or fear. Help us to hold fast to the hope that you've won for us in Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, that you would knit this church community together, that people would encourage each other to keep living for Jesus, build all of our relationships here to this end, give each of us here a sense and a weight of the responsibility you've given us to each other and to you. We pray these things in confidence that Jesus is alive and pleads before your throne on our behalf. And we pray these things confidently in Jesus' name. Amen.